All right, so let's use Zembly as a bit of a case study here. We've combined the power of a seasoned executive assistant and the strategic capabilities of a chief of staff. For example, I can just add Xena to the email, just like I would my executive assistant and say, Xena, find some time for thought. I can't help but think of Warrior Princess. Like, is your follow-up gonna be Gabrielle? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Xena in Greek means hospitable. It just turns out also means the Warrior Princess. And so we get the double meaning. Welcome to GeekWire. I'm GeekWire co-founder, Todd Bishop. How can startups differentiate themselves in the new era of AI? We've been discussing that question recently on the GeekWire podcast, and on this episode, we'll get a first-hand look from business and technology veteran, Pete Christothulu. He's the former CEO of MarchX, the call and conversation analytics company, who is now the founder and CEO of Zembly. That's X-E-M-B-L-Y. It's a Seattle-based startup that is developing what it calls an AI chief of staff and executive assistant. Its technology automates tasks such as meeting notes, scheduling, and action items. We'll talk about the rapid developments in AI over the past year and take a close look at Zembly as a case study. And finally, we will consider the big picture implications of AI and ask whether it can truly give humans an edge in the current deluge of information and the quest for meaningful productivity. Pete, welcome to the show. Hey, Todd, thanks for having me. Many people know you from your longtime role as the co-founder and CEO of MarchX. You've been focusing on this new startup now for a couple years, and we're gonna talk about it a little bit later on, but just to set the stage here from someone such as yourself who's been involved in technology for so many years and in startups and business, how would you describe the overall advances that we've seen in artificial intelligence over the past year? Oh, Todd, is that a way of saying I'm old? <laughs> I'm right there with you if you are, so. <laughs> I'm old enough to live through the beginning of like the internet and everyone building products and going nuts and creating websites and, and building the various tools around kind of that ecosystem. And I, I think that this feels similar to that. Like there's a lot of good here. I think the next decade will be the most transformative decade we've had. How we buy things will change. How we live will change. How we work will change. I'm really excited about advances in medicine that are taking place. It's just going to be incredible. The thing I think about just because we've seen a lot is I also am sensitive to the, all the slop that's going to happen. And what I'm seeing now is there are a lot of cool companies or seemingly cool companies doing interesting things, but it's really like interesting demoware. They're not businesses. And so the thing I watch for are who are the people and what are the companies like really obsessing about a problem and really obsessing about customers and not building something cool because it's cool and I can hook up to a foundation model and do some interesting things. It's like who's solving real things? Who's building companies, not features? Like what I'm seeing now is a lot of feature building versus a lot of company building. So I'd say like one, I'm just generally excited about the potential and what people are doing. I'd like to see a little bit more focus on hardcore problem solving versus I can plumb into OpenAI and here's a chat bot, go for it. Like that's not interesting. One of the things that John Cook, my colleague and I were talking about just on a recent episode was this 
assertion from some investors that the real differentiator, apart from trying to solve problems, is access to data. How do companies get access to the data that they need if they're just startups, just starting out, to bring something interesting to these large language models, which are becoming somewhat commoditized? Is there a way that you see that happening? Yeah, that's a good question. It's hard, is I guess number one. Yeah. You have to get creative. There's just no other way around it. And creativity may mean, in our case, I'll just tell you what creativity means. Like part of our product captures like highly accurate meeting notes. And more importantly, the action items coming out of meetings. But the challenge for us in training our own proprietary models, which we did was how do you train a model to capture accurate action items when you don't have lots of meeting data? And we had to spend a lot of time scouring for publicly available meeting data, which turns out to be government records because the government has to post their meetings. And so we simply started there. And one, those are interesting sessions themselves. But two, we had to get creative in really figuring out how to abstract core commitments out of those meetings. As you know, in politics, there aren't many commitments. There's just a lot of talk. So, but we started there, we got creative. And I think, you know, if you're building a business now, you have to really dig deeply to figure out like what your advantage is going to be. And you can't just plumb into an LLM and do something. You do need something that's proprietary to you. In our case, fortunately for us, we had thought through that from our core inception. Very interesting. I can only imagine you had a lot of cases where you had to screen out. My staff will get back to you on that. Oh, there's a lot. It was, yeah, we can go super deep here. It was, it was fascinating and sad all at the same time. Yes. All right. So let's use Zembly as a bit of a case study here to understand the opportunities and the challenges that different startups are facing. Can you give us the basics? What is Zembly? I've, I've heard you say this phrase, AI chief of staff, and I have a general sense for what that is, but what are you building? So what we've done is we've combined the power of a seasoned executive assistant and the strategic capabilities of a chief of staff that typically makes sure like the bus is running well into a single product that automates work across work streams and across tasks. And so if you think about the productivity landscape, it's littered with interesting companies doing interesting things, but those products all tend to be siloed. So if you're Calendly, Great product for scheduling, especially if you're a sales or SDR uh, in an SDR capacity. If you are Otter, really interesting product that transcribes meetings. If you are Clockwise, like a great product that helps block time and find focus time for you. All interesting things in their own right, solving a problem that's very specific. The, the challenge that we saw was while they were helping individuals for the specific function, they really weren't reimagining or supercharging how people operate. And if you peel it back a step further and you look at very successful executives, you'll realize that they tend to be highly productive and very organized. And the reason is they have a powerful executive assistant and or chief of staff that are supporting them across their work. Those people have contextual understanding about how to execute the work, what their priorities are, what they should follow up on, what they shouldn't follow up on, able to do a look back and ask the questions and answer them of, should I be spending my time this way or not? So our belief was in order to supercharge how people operated, you had to have contextual understanding 
and the ability to execute tasks across their work, not just in one silo. And number two, you needed to be available in naturally in their workflow. So today, work is decentralized. As you know, Todd, people operate across lots of different systems. They don't need another app or another tool. What they want to do is execute work where they are, wherever they are. So building a product that naturally integrated, in our view, conversationally into those workflows, whether it was email, calendar, Slack, wherever it may be, was very important to kind of bringing that promise together. To me, email is the big challenge. How does Zembly work with email? Yeah, in email, you know, for example, if you and I are interacting, Todd, and you say, hey, Pete, can I get 10 minutes or I want time with you, Todd? I can just add Xena to the email, just like I would my executive assistant and say, Xena, find some time for Todd. And Xena will then go back and forth conversationally with you and navigate finding time that works for both of us. Just as well as an NEEA would, I think the the benefit is Zena's available 24-7. So I can send that note out at midnight and Zena will go to work on it right away. So it's a scheduling assistant. For that task. I've mentioned this on the show before, but what I really want is the digital equivalent of the boss walking into the office in the morning and getting handed post-it notes perhaps with the four or five priorities for that morning based on inbound messages. I want that in my inbox. You get that to some extent with things like Priority Inbox from Google, and I use some other tools. I've become legendary inside the GeekWire offices for my attempts to use filters and other types of things, which actually can be counterproductive at times because I end up missing things that I should have seen. At any rate, are you headed that direction with Zembly, or are you already there? We already are there. So your question was specific to email, but what we do is you have a lot of priorities that occupy your day. You, you and I just started off at, like, we need a meeting scheduled. So let's just pretend Xena actually scheduled that meeting perfectly. And if this was a visual podcast, I would show you how, how it does it. But Xena scheduled that perfectly conversationally. Now you and I have a meeting. Xena actually knows to turn on meeting notes. So you and I have meeting notes. During that meeting, you commit to a variety of things. Maybe that you'll call me next week to follow up on something, for example. Well, now you have an action item that's connected to you. That action item actually gets scheduled on your calendar. Later on in the day, you may remind yourself that you have to talk to John about your business model. Well, you can just tell Zena, remind me to talk to John about the business model. That's going to end up on your calendar. So before you know it, you're going to have your day already structured with the tasks that are important to you, both personally and pulled from meetings or actions that you committed to, perfectly organized in your calendar and scheduled. And, you know, Zena's going to keep you on task to execute those items. And if you don't get them done, Zena will keep moving those things for you every day until they're complete. So it really becomes a like hyper-efficient way to kind of run your day. And, you know, what we're seeing is we're able to deliver on the promise that you just asked for. Pete, can you give us a thumbnail sketch of where you are with your company right now? Uh, how much of a product you've built? How many employees you have? Funding? Sort of the the basic questions I might ask in a GeekWire startup spotlight. So we're three, uh, almost three years in this November. We have about 45 people. We've raised $20 million from incredible investors, including Lightspeed, Norwest, in Seattle, Kirby Winfield's Ascend and other kind of well-known individuals. We completed our A a year ago. The business has 
incredible traction in the enterprise with companies like Qualtrics, Salesforce, Twilio. You know, it's kind of like a who's who. <laughs> you look at the logo list. And so as we perfected our product, and from our perspective, perfection means can we change or improve how work gets done at the world's biggest companies? And can we truly help every worker give them the superpower that we've talked about to improve how they, op- how they operate? So we've proven that we can do that. And now we're focused on opening it up self-serve here in the coming months. Coming up in the next segment, AI demoware versus reality. We'll be right back. Returning now to my conversation with Pete Christothulu of AI startup Zembly. What can you tell us about the underlying technology that you use? Are you using a large language model, working with a major cloud provider? So I'd say the first thing is our insight was that managing your work life is like managing your money. (laughs) We can't get it wrong at all. It has to be accurate. It has to be consistent. There are no second chances for doing something wrong on your calendar, like period, or getting a meeting topic wrong and putting a wrong action item on someone's calendar. In other words, the cascade of negative actions that happen by virtue of a AI product executing work is catastrophic if it's wrong. So because of that, we built our own proprietary technology and models and techniques to execute that complex task work. On top of that, we do partner with LLMs. We partnered with OpenAI for three years. So we were in very early partner of theirs and we use them and others in the right place. But importantly, we found that specializing and handling like the very complex scenarios that are real work-life scenarios requires proprietary models and techniques. You know, people say things that are weird, like, go do this thing, then go do that thing and schedule a meeting with Pete. And then after you're done with that, can you, you know, talk to John about X? Like those are all real things. And so having a product that has context for what all those things are, so it can in one step go and execute four or five different tasks for you perfectly is is very difficult. And LLMs just aren't good at that contextual understanding or, or compound work, nor are they good at intersecting between lots of different information systems to execute those tasks. Given that you started three years ago, getting back to that first question I asked about how the overall advances in AI have emerged in the past year, have you seen an increase in what you're able to do based on some of the new approaches that have come out in the past six months to a year? Yes, there are things that we could do that provide some acceleration, but you know, really we've been building the product for long enough now where everything that we wanted to execute, we've been able to execute with our own models. LLMs have sped up some development cycles for sure. The thing that it's done is it's created more, I'll just call it like industry-specific complexity. You know, anyone can go up the street now and grab an LLM and say they do meeting notes. Are they good? Like, I don't know. But they can say that they do it. And so I think that LLMs generally are very powerful, but they also create more complexity at the customer level, because now the customer has to go out and work through the nuances of what every company is saying that they do. So in every industry, everyone's using this technology, regardless of what their space is. When they come out with features, they all sound very similar. 
now the customer really has to do a lot of work at peeling back the onion to understand like what's what's truth, you know, versus you know what's what's the reality here versus fiction. And I, I think so. The customer has a more tax now than ever. So when we're talking to companies, we actually see quite a bit of confusion because there's cool demoware out there, but if you try to put the demoware to the test with the world's biggest companies who are very have very sophisticated enterprise needs, privacy, compliance, security, accuracy, consistency, like these tools just don't work. So put the technology in the hands of kind of responsible parties over time, they can build really good things. And so it's helped us for sure. It's helped everybody, but it's also created, I think, a lot of confusion. It's interesting because to your point, I think a lot of the attention goes to these flashy consumer apps and you're following the Seattle tech playbook in some ways by really focusing on the enterprise here and the places where you can create meaningful value. Of course, data privacy is paramount in that kind of situation. I imagine that's one area where you end up spending a lot of time as a company. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So, you know, this comes down to how your company is structured, one, philosophically, how you think about privacy and compliance, like what, what controls are in place, what do you allow people to do when they use the product or not do? And then, you know, ultimately, how do you treat that data, including do you use it for your own law training purposes or not? And do you allow companies to, you know, not participate in that? And so we you don't know, we spend a lot of time at making sure that we are compliant with the way that the largest companies want to operate. Next up, the data deluge versus the quest for productivity. I was struck a couple months ago, Microsoft in one of the articles that it came out with made this contention at least that in the productivity race, ultimately technology will prevail. In other words, the tools that we're using to combat the overload will be superior to the overload that's been created by technology. And it seems like you're addressing part of this. Where do you come down on that? Because I feel like it's almost an existential question of our time. <laughs> I have a long answer for this. So, uh, Great. I've been thinking about this for a long time. So I think the question like that I think about a lot is, what does it mean to be human in a world where machines can do great work. So about 30 years ago, what if I told you, you would have a pocket computer with all human knowledge immediately accessible, that you could collaborate with anyone anywhere, and that you were always connected to anyone they want to be connected to. If I told you that, you would say like, oh my God, if I, if I had a pocket computer that could do all that, and I'm always connected, I'm gonna be so much more productive. So we have all this technology, but, when it comes to productivity, we are busier and working harder than any generation since World War II. So one of the stats I, I found that I thought was interesting is we are spending 60% more of our time in meetings today than we were in the 60s. 60% of workers say that work life and home life have blurred. The consequence of that is real. They're having trouble at home. 75% of those people say they, they're so busy they can't read to their kids at night. That's the home life part. But like societally, we're also less productive. If you compare the last 30 years to today, GDP has fallen by 30%. I also read that we're getting worse 
at Transformative Science, there's been a 90% drop in disruptive science and technology research. So, you know, if you fast forward to today, we're at the same spot where like AI is here. It can be incredibly powerful, very transformative. I think what's going to happen is it's just going to mean there's more information, more bells and whistles, more things for people to look at or consume in different ways. Now we'll have bots feeding us stuff, not just people. And so the challenge is, how do you build a product that really solves like the core challenge people have, which is their time? It's not about putting more AI bells and whistles around products. It's about deeply understanding the customer and really like deeply understanding like the thing that's important to them. And that's on every company to figure out for themselves. I think if you're an incumbent, uh, whether you're Google or Microsoft or any like very large company, you have like a very broad portfolio of products, like there's a great opportunity for you and also great risk. Every single division is now thinking about AI. These divisions tend not to communicate as clearly internally as you'd imagine they would. They tend to preference their own ecosystem. You can imagine scenarios where there's lots of AI bells and whistles that take the worker away from really doing the thing they wanted. For somebody like me as an individual or you as an individual leaders or workers, will we have more time, more peace in five years or less? Well, I mean, that's the question. So <laughs> I know I, just, I presented you with a binary. There. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because work life and home life have blurred so much. I think the question is going to be like, what happens at home that impacts that statement? I think work life, there's companies like Zembly and there are others like they're, you know, we have a, we have a very good shot and I'm seeing it now as simplify work life. That doesn't mean that you won't have other responsibilities and new responsibilities that take up that time. Like your time will always be consumed by something. So I think the question is, how are you spending your time is like the most important question. So for example, I'm a little tired of this Shopify stat that's out there. This thing you may have seen, Todd, where they have a tool that you know calculates the cost of a meeting. I actually think it's like the dumbest thing there is. I could have a perfectly productive meeting. My, in fact, my day could be filled with meetings. Make it all be very expensive. Lots of people could be in there. But if they're the right meetings with the right conversations, the right people, that may be the best way to spend my time. And so I think the question we have to ask is like, is the way we're going to spend our time more productive or not? Will we be more strategic? I think the answer to that is yes. Focusing not just on the figurative expense of the meeting, but on the conceptual revenue, as it were, right? What is the outlet of what we're doing? You mentioned some of those larger companies. Do you consider things like Microsoft 365 Copilot or Google Workspace AI features competitors to what you're doing at Assembly? I think that there are there are scenarios where you know the products seemingly compete, but I I don't view it necessarily that way. I actually think they're very complementary. By the way, like Google Workspace and Google's partner. Like we go back to the, like the customer is the worker for us. Like we really think about the worker. If you think about the worker and how they operate, they don't operate in silos anymore. If you take electronic arts as a, for example, as a company or any, any, most companies, electronic arts case, they use Outlook for email, Slack for messaging. Zoom for video conferencing, Jira for product management. 
Monday for helping their team's HR system. Like they use all these tools. There's not one anymore. And so like the question really is like, how do you support the user where they are like in, in the right way? And I think, you know, Microsoft, Google, the large companies who are building co-pilots, they're going to do great work, especially in their native apps. You know, as you think about supporting the worker across how they operate, I think time will tell if they're able to play nicely with the other ecosystems that that exist. Hey, Pete, thank you very much for talking with me. Great to see you. Thank you again. Pete Christathulu is founder and CEO of Seattle-based AI startup Zembly. Learn more at zembly.com, that's X-E-M-B-L-Y, and see the show notes for links to stories and research related to the topics we discussed. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop. Kurt Milton produces and edits our show. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon with a new episode of the GeekWire podcast.